chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I'll be reading uh, verses 1 through 6. Again, this is God's holy and errant word. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he be pleased to bless it to our hearts. You may be seated. When we read Psalm 105, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Well, this week is Thanksgiving, and this is probably my favorite holiday. It's my favorite because thankfulness is, or at least ought to be, part and parcel of the Christian life. We, of all people, should be the most thankful of people. We have much to be thankful for, in fact. We are thankful to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for the salvation which we have and for his covenant faithfulness to us. So Thanksgiving ought then to not just be a holiday, not just be a a time once a year where we show thankfulness and then eat lots of turkey or other things. No, Thanksgiving ought to be for us as believers in Jesus Christ a way of life. We should consider the greatness of our God as we give thanks to him. And so this morning, in consideration of having thankful hearts, I want to approach this subject by considering our prayer life. Now, a couple of caveats as we, before we dive in this morning. First of all, uh, everything that we're going to look at today is rooted and grounded in the reality that our Lord Jesus Christ has rescued us out of darkness and brought us by faith into his kingdom through his death and resurrection. That those who trust and rest in him have been made new creatures in him. Their desires in life have been changed. And so that reality is the foundation of our thankful hearts and also for our thankful prayers. Second, we should understand up front that this is not an exhaustive study. We will be looking primarily at Paul's exhortation to prayer in, second, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, focusing particularly on the thankfulness aspect. But we're not going to say everything that there is to say about prayer, nor about thankfulness. But we're going to touch on these things as we look at this portion of God's word. And so the exhortations of scripture, uh, the, these are the, what roots us in our prayer. And we're not going to cover all that there is to say 
Uh, but we're going to touch on what Paul says to us here. So with those things in mind, uh, let's jump in and let's first look at the importance of prayer. In chapter 2 of Paul's letter to uh, Timothy, his first letter to Timothy, he begins uh, in chapter 2 to, to introduce a new subject matter. Now, chapter 1 in, in 1 Timothy dealt with some issues that were happening in the Ephesian church. Namely, false teachers who need to be dealt with by Timothy. But in chapter 2, and really chapter 2 through chapter 5, uh, Paul begins to look at some other things. And, and some commentators actually refer to this section as a directory of worship or a directory of order for the church in the Bible. So Paul is writing these things to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.15, so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to let this young minister Timothy, and the church know how they were to live as the church. What life in the church was to look like. Because the church is the, is the household of the living God, a pillar in buttress of the truth. And so the first subject, as Paul begins to, to talk about what does life in the church look like, the very first thing he wants to talk about is prayer. Now, why is prayer so important? Well, first of all, you should know that prayer is the powerhouse of the church. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 98, says that prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. You see, God is often pleased to act and move in response to the prayer of his people. He's seeking people who are seeking his will. So do you want to see, for instance, people coming to faith in Christ in your community? Well, we need to pray. Do you want to see the work of our missionaries flourishing? Do you want to see the work here growing? Then we must pray. Prayer is vital both in our public worship and in our private devotions. Prayer is our speaking with our God, our covenant-keeping God. It is coming into his holy presence. Prayer is what God has called us to, and our God delights to hear from his people. So the importance, it's important in, that we pray. Prayer is, in fact, so important, the apostles wanted to protect that time from other encroachments. We see this in Acts chapter 6, where the, the deacons were brought into being, as the apostles did not want to be taken away from devotion to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Prayer is a critical part of the Christian life and walk and ministry. And so this is the very first thing that Paul wants to talk about when it comes to life in the church. The church must be a house of prayer. We must be people of prayer. So verse 1, first of all, he says, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. When he says, first of all, what he's saying is, 
above all else. I exhort you, I urge you to be in prayer. There's there's urgency in Paul's words. Timothy was to give the ministry of prayer the primacy of importance. Prayer is to be at the top of the list. And in doing so, he urges Timothy to, by using three different words for prayer. He says supplications, prayers, and intercessions. And then he adds to that list a fourth word, with thanksgivings. These three words, uh, supplications, prayers, intercessions, are in many ways synonyms, but they come at the subject from various angles. So what's significant about each of these? Well, first, supplications. Supplications has the idea of a person going before a great king. One who is bringing a petition before a superior. It's an entreaty before God. The word which is translated prayer is really the general word for prayer. It is often used of one asking of God for general blessings, for general care. And the word intercession has the idea of one who brings Uh, someone else's need before another. So this is an appeal on someone else's behalf. And so so this is the idea. Bring your pleadings and your needs and the needs of others before our God. Come before your God in prayer. And and this is a primary part of your life as a a believer in Christ. And when you do this, as you bring your pleadings, as you bring your needs, as you bring the needs of others before God, it should be done with an overarching attitude of thanksgiving. All of our prayer, all of our intercessions ought to be accompanied with thanksgiving with thankful hearts, hearts of gratitude before our God. When we come before the throne of grace, when we bring our prayers and petitions, we should do so with a heart which is just overflowing with gratitude to God. In thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. In other words, it's not necessarily that thankfulness is a particular kind of prayer, although it could be. You certainly can have prayers that are specifically of thanksgiving. But really to understand this better, we should see that thankfulness should undergird all of our prayers. Thanksgiving is the heart posture of the believer in Jesus Christ. We should be thankful for all that God has, has graciously provided for us in Christ. We should be thankful, certainly, for the things he's provided for us in this life. Our homes, our families, cars, food, all of, all of life's provisions we should be thankful for. But we should not only be thankful for those things, but we should also be grateful, most of all, for God's tender mercies to us sinners. His mercy in saving us through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
That though we were once enemies of God, we were in rebellion against God, we were sinners who were far away from our our Heavenly Father, that God sent His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pay the debt of sin and to reconcile us to Himself. By grace we have been saved through faith. It is the grace and mercy of God that has given to us new life. Beloved, this is something we should be very thankful for. So, God's appointed way of blessing us, of deepening our relationship with Him, is prayer. And our prayer should be a prayer which is woven with thanksgiving throughout. Now, as we think about thankful prayer, the question then may be asked, well, then who should we pray for? If we're to bring our pleadings, we're to bring our own needs and the needs of others before God, who is it we should be praying for? Well, Paul tells us. And at the end of verse 1, he says, for all people. For all people. For kings. For all who are in high positions. So who should we pray for? All people. We should pray for all people. Now, you might say, well, Paul, do you mean like just Christians? No. I said all people. Well, perhaps you only mean like Americans, right? Like we only pray for Americans, right? No, all people. No, no, you mean like people who agree with us politically, though, right? Like, we should only pray for people on our side of political persuasion. No, all people. Everyone should be a part of our prayer. Now, does this mean that you should pray for every single person on the planet? That's not the point. What Paul's point is that we should pray for all kinds of people. Your prayer, in other words, ought to have a global scope to it. Oftentimes, as Christians, we're content to pray for the needs of those around us, but we don't generally stray too far beyond that. We should be in prayer for the church around the world, with thankfulness that the work of God is happening, that he's building his kingdom, that he is reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should be encouraged and thankful for what God is doing. God is doing wonderful things in places like China and Africa and South America, even in North Korea. God is at work around the world, and we should be thankful for that, and we should be encouraged by that. We should have a global scope. We should pray for all kinds of people. We should pray for our neighbor next door. We should pray for people, actually, the the people that you most disagree with, perhaps even the people that rub you the wrong way, are probably the people you most need to pray for. Because most often prayer not only doesn't just necessarily change them, it may change your own heart too. We should pray for all kinds of people. But notice too that Paul in verse 2 narrows things a bit. He specifically mentions kings and those in high positions. Now you might ask, why? Why would Paul mention that? Because as we pray for all kinds of people, one category we should specifically be praying for with thankfulness in our hearts is our leaders. Kings, 
governors, presidents, prime ministers, all those in authority. In Romans 13, 1, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So, God has given all authority. And there's no authority that exists that didn't come from God. And since authority is given by God, we should not only be subject to them, we should also pray for them. So, pray for your government. Pray for the president. Pray for the governor. Pray for your legislature. Pray for your senators. Pray for your representatives. Pray for all those in authority. Now, you might say, well, I I would like to pray for those that if I like them, right? If I like the government, then sure, I'll be thankful for them. I'm thankful for, like, good government. But what if it's a bad government... All authority comes from God. It is hard to pray for those, when, when, pray for, say, a bad government. And, and in fact, maybe you might say, well, okay, I'll pray for them, but you know, I'm going to pray the imprecatory psalms. That's what I'm going to do, right? Somehow that seems more holy. Don't we just sometimes want God to just simply judge them? That's, that's going to be the basis of our prayers. Perhaps I judge you in light of my own character. Perhaps I look at my own heart and assume that you are like me. But prayers of judgment are not necessarily what Paul has in mind here. Our prayer needs to be for their good and for God's glory. Look at the end of verse 2. We pray for those in authority so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We're praying for all kinds of men. We're praying for kings. We're praying for presidents and governors. We're praying for all those in authority for the purpose of something bigger than nations. We're praying for the advancement of the kingdom of God, for the church, for God's people, so that they may have tranquility and peace. We're praying that God's kingdom would move forth. We pray for those in authority, and we're praying for their good, for blessing. And what's the best thing, what's the most blessing they could have that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ? That they too could be counted among the elect. We should pray for their repentance. We should pray for their salvation. That they may know Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And two, understand this too. Praying for tranquility and peace is not praying for a life of leisure. That's not what we're praying for. By the contrary, this is a prayer for freedom. Freedom from wars, freedom from disturbances, so that the gospel of Jesus Christ may spread uninhibited. Consider this from Luke chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. Jesus says this, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. 
This is asking the Father for something that God himself wants according to his will. Our desire is for peace and tranquility so that God's people can travel in and out of places freely and proclaim the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Father, we should be asking for this. We should be praying for this. And we should be praising God that in our own nation we can do that. Now, this doesn't mean that God will always answer our prayers exactly as we desire. He will answer according to his will. But listen, we have to ask. God is pleased to move through the prayers of his people. We should be praying for freedom and peace for God's people. Pray that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And isn't this something we should be thankful for? Shouldn't we be thankful that we live in a nation which has over the years enjoyed tremendous peace and tranquility? We should pray that this would continue. And we should be thankful that it is the case now. We should be very thankful for the peace we enjoy as it allows us to openly proclaim the gospel. Now remember, when Paul wrote these words, you know who the emperor was? It was Nero. Nero was the ruler of Rome. And if you know anything about Nero, he was known for his vanity, his cruelty, and his hostility to the Christian faith. And Paul says, pray for those who are kings and who lead you in authority. Even the cruelest of rulers, Christians should pray for. Desire for peace, by the way, is not a selfish desire. It is a desire for the church to be able to freely fulfill her commission. And when a good government brings about peace, the church is able to minister without impediment in a godly and dignified way. So, beloved, pray for good governments. Pray for governments here. Pray for governments around the world. Because when good governments are in power, First Peter 2 says... It's a little easier to live out. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do right. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So why should we pray with thanksgiving for all people, particularly leaders? Well, look at verse 3. Paul gives a little bit more of the answer to that. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The reason that the prayer life of the church is so important is because it is part of the worship of the church. It is good and pleasing to God. 1 Timothy 2 tells us it is, that it is good in the sight of God and that we should pray with thankfulness for all people. God is pleased when we pray for people. He delights to work through and bless through prayer. And further, it is God's desire that we pray for all people because, verse 4, He desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, you might say, wait a minute. I thought we were Calvinists. Is Paul being a universalist here? Listen, not in the least. 
The point is that God is a God of all kinds of people. All kinds of groups, different groups of people. Every single person on the planet is an image bearer. God is a God whether they know and worship Him or not. There's not one single language, ethnic, or people group that God is exclusively the God for. He is the creator of all. Nor are there any people for whom God is not the God for. The the Lord is God over all of creation. God is not the God only of the Jews, but of the Gentiles as well. So here's the point. God's will is that all kinds of people from various nations and races and social and economic backgrounds would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Another way of saying that is that the gospel message transcends all man-made categories. All kinds of people are to be prayed for and have the message of salvation proclaimed to them. God desires people from every tongue and nation to come to the knowledge of the truth. And this is good and pleasing to him. And you know something? He is doing this. He accomplishes this in part by means of the prayer and faithfulness of his own people. Now it's not that he needs us to do this, but he is pleased in his good providence to do so. Verses 5 and 6. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation through the sacrifice of the Son of God, is the message which must go out to the nations. Because it's by that message that God is pleased by his will, to save all kinds of people. Jesus is the only hope that this dark and sin-stained world has. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. He is the only one who can step into the gap. He is the only one who can reconcile humanity. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, gave himself as a ransom. And it was not just for the Jews, but for the nations all those who by faith come to him. God loves the world and he commands us to preach the gospel to all nations so that those who are his elect may come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And this is what the Great Commission is all about, isn't it? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And so as we proclaim the gospel to the nations, we should also be praying for the nations. Jesus said in Matthew 9:38 that we are to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest. We should pray like that. We should pray that the Lord would send workers into his harvest. And so as you gather with your family, as you gather with your friends this week, as you sit around the Thanksgiving table, consider the things that you're thankful for. Consider the, the provisions that the Lord has given to you. Most of all, praise God for what he has done for you through Jesus Christ. And praise God for what he is doing even now through the nations, through the proclamation of his gospel.
and pray that those that there may be others who would come to a saving knowledge of the Savior. For it is good and pleasing to God for all kinds of people to come to knowledge of the truth, that they may be set free from the bondage of sin. And we pray this for others, and we can be thankful that he is pleased, and he, ha- he was pleased to set us free as well. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have set us free from bondage to sin, that we were once slaves to sin, and yet you have set us free, and you have adopted us as sons and heirs of the covenant promises. Oh God, we are so thankful. And what we confess that we often don't live like we're thankful. May we have hearts which overflow with gratefulness, not only this week as we celebrate Thanksgiving, but every day as we consider the cross of Christ. And Father, we do pray for our leaders in this nation. We pray that those who do not know you would come to faith in Jesus Christ. We pray good things for them the greatest of which would be to see them expressing faith, trusting and resting in Christ. Bless our nation. Bless this people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's uh, stand together and sing our closing song. It's Psalm, Psalm 92a. It is good to thank the Lord. Let's stand together as we sing Psalm 92a.